Will you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, today, we are so beyond grateful for the opportunity to gather. Father, for the opportunity to lift you up, whether in the room or online, but God, as your family of faith. God, it's our prayer that you would continue by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, to bind us together, unite us in heart and in mind, and God, in action. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, for the courage that is ours in you. Father, we pray for those in our family who may be ill, who may be struggling, who may be, God, fearful in this moment. We ask that you would be so real and so present to them that it would be undeniable the power and the hope and the grace that you offer. Father, for those of us here in the room together today, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for this opportunity to see each other, to lock eyes, even over masks, <laughs> but to worship you in spirit and in truth, and God, to encounter you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name, the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, I do believe that Welcome Home is actually the perfect place to begin this new teaching series that we're starting today. Because Welcome Home, I think, is much more than just, you know, come on in, have a cup of coffee or whatever. I think Welcome Home actually reminds me of, of a prayer that Julie and I started praying in our home years and years and years and years ago. I think welcome home is actually the perfect description of what it means to be spiritually at home, to be welcomed by God into the household, into the, the family of faith. Whether you're actually in the house or watching online, you're a part of the family of faith. And this idea of welcome home my wife, Julie, articulated so beautifully years ago because we decided, like a lot of parents, that we wanted our house to be the house where kids congregated, where they, where they gathered and hung out. And we talked about this. We, we started to kind of think about it, pray about it, and we, we developed a, a very, very spiritual approach to this desire. We figured out early on, if you want to be the house where kids gather, Feed them. It is all about the food. It is all about the snacks. And, and it was rarely something that a box full of Cheez-Its or a tray full of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets couldn't solve in our household. And so it was typical when Emily and Joseph were growing up for us to have 8, 10, 15 or more kids running around our house like an anthill. Like the day that I came home from work and a, Joseph and, and a group of his buddies were running around our front yard, scurrying around, and I could tell before I got out of the truck that they were looking for something or, or someone. And I got out of my truck and they said, Mr. Richard, Mr. Richard, we're looking for, and I'll, I'll use, let's say that his name was Will, okay? <laughs> they were looking for Will. And 
when all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, and, and actually it was the upper corner of my eye, coming over the ridge line of the roof of my house was Will. And he was doing this, Mr. Sean, I said, hey, Will, bruh, off the roof now. And all the guys on the ground were like, we got him. That, that, was, that was just kind of a typical afternoon in our household. There was also the time that Julie walked out into the driveway, and there on the basketball court, there was a pile of boys' young men's basketball shorts just in the middle of the driveway. When all of a sudden, one of Joseph's friends hopped up out of the bed of my pickup truck that was parked in the driveway, and we'll call him Hudson, and Hudson stood up wearing nothing but boxers. And Julie said, what in the world is wrong with you? And he goes, Mrs. Bouchard, we made up a game. We call it boxer tag. This was the kind of stuff that happened in our household all the time. And in both of those cases, these boys were, they, they, I was so glad that they were comfortable in our home, but it is possible to be too comfortable. And as a matter of fact, they both had violated, you see, Julie and I articulated our prayer and our dream for welcome home in our home like this. We wanted our kids and their friends and their friends' friends to walk in the door and say, I'm home, I'm safe, and I like it here. I'm home, I'm safe, and I like it here. I think that'd be a great thing for us on this Sunday morning as we worship together here in the room or at home. Everybody do this with me. Everybody kind of sit up straight. Everybody Kind of take a deep breath. And then tell your neighbor who's socially distanced from you, I'm home, I'm safe, I like it here. Doesn't it? There's just something about that just feels good, doesn't it? Hopefully at home you feel that way if you're watching online live right now too. But I'm home, I'm safe, I like it here. This was one of the driving themes of Jesus' earthly ministry. If you go back into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you, you read what Jesus lived for, what he taught toward, what he was pointing people toward, it was always that we would find this sense of welcome home with God, that we would be at home with God and at peace with his people. That there would be this, this sense of relief, this sense of, of divine ordained comfort in the community of faith, in the community of God himself. As a matter of fact, in the first message that Jesus preached that the Bible records, it's in Matthew chapter 5. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles or click on your phones and go to Matthew chapter 5. We're looking, of course, at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's gospel details the, the genealogy of Jesus. It, it details a little bit of his birth and the arrival of the Magi. It talks about John the Baptist. It describes Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. But then in Matthew chapter 5, we have the first recorded sermon of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus said the following words. He said, blessed are the peace 
makers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, when Jesus first uttered these words to his original audience, there on the shores of Galilee, and if you've ever had the opportunity to go to Israel, it's an amazing sight because you can be on a boat, as we have been several times, on the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. It's a big freshwater lake, but it's referred to as the Sea of Galilee. And as you look at the hillsides, you see the actual hill where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It is a natural amphitheater. And to this day, very little development has happened. If this had been in Austin, somebody would have put up condos and hotels and all kinds of resorts and everything. But they're in Israel. The, the hillside remains largely as it was. A couple of churches have been built over the centuries. But it was on this hillside that Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom of God, that he begins to describe what life in a relationship with him is to look like. And it's in the middle of this sermon that he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, when Jesus spoke those words to that audience, they, they would have immediately gone back to their childhood. Let me ask you a question at home and here in the room. How many of us have ever attended when we were kids VBS. Remember Vacation Bible School before we abbreviated it. I'm talking about popsicle sticks and yarn, Kool-Aid and graham crackers, forced nap time. You know what I'm talking about. Not like we do now, but VBS. Well, Jesus' original audience would have gone back to their original Hebrew VBS and they would have heard the word peacemaker differently than you and I do. They would have heard the word shalom. Say the word shalom with me. One, two, three. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom's a big word. And, and our word peace is as close as we can get to it in English. And peace is a good thing, believe me. But shalom, shalom has a mountain of meaning behind it. And, and I think that as we talk about welcome home over the next few weeks, it's imperative for us to, to get our arms and our minds, but I think more importantly, to get our hearts around this issue of shalom. Now, I, I've told you before that one of my favorite places on the planet is Israel. I, I've only been twice in my life, but I'm going back, God willing, God willing. I love Israel. Part of why I love Israel, actually most of why I love Israel, is because of the Israeli people. They are the most gracious, hospitable, welcoming, warm-hearted, tough as a boot could kill you if they needed to people that I have ever been around in my life. They are unbelievable as a people. I love them. And one of the things I love about the Israeli people, even to this day, is on Saturday in Israel, they routinely greet one another, as well as other guests and visitors who may be in the country, with a hearty Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat 
Doesn't that, that just sounds good, doesn't it? Now, I have to do this real quick. Excuse me. That is not a dry cough. Don't worry about it. But Shabbat Shalom is the way that they greet each other. And for the Israeli mindset, this, this goes way, way back, even further than Jesus' original audience. Because Shabbat Shalom takes Israel all the way back to the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested. And then with Moses in Exodus chapter 20, he codified, he, he made a law that they were to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And, and so it is this, this idea of Shabbat, Sabbath, that even today the Israeli people greet each other with. And Shabbat Shalom is actually a great thing for us to, to kind of deconstruct a little bit so that we can put it into practice, not only on our Sabbath on Sunday, but on a day-to-day -day basis. Shabbat Shalom means this. The word Shabbat, Sabbath, means an intentional day of rest, an intentional day of rest and intense corporate worship. You see, for the Jewish mindset, the, the old school Hebrew, they would have realized that every single week, we need a reminder. When I say we, I mean us human beings need a reminder of the supremacy and the sovereignty of God and our connection to each other. And so this, this Shabbat Shalom is this day of intentional rest and intense corporate worship. Now, worship is something that we do all week long. Everything that we do is an expression of worship to God. Worship being the, the statement, either with our mouths or with our hands and our feet, that you are God and I am not. But this idea of corporate worship, of coming together, even online, how grateful are we that during the corona crazy, we were able to stay connected virtually. This couldn't have happened at any other season in the history of the Bride of Christ. This is an amazing blessing that we had through this season and that we still have with our online family. But this idea of corporate worship reminds us that God is God and we are not, but also that we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. It's a reminder that, that we are joined by God together. Jesus himself said, where two or more are gathered, I will be there in their midst. I gotta tell you, I didn't know what to expect today. When we said we were gonna reopen the doors for corporate worship, I thought, Lord, I hope two show up. You all showed up in droves. This is exciting. Okay, droves may be an overstatement. But I am so excited to be reminded by your physical presence in this place. And again, online is great, but let us remember this. Online is a great supplement, but can never be a substitute for gathering together. The body of Christ has never, ever been about a location. This is not about location, but location matters. Where you are, this gathering together. And I think at the same time we applaud that, we ought to also applaud those who are watching online. Let's give it up for them making that commitment to connect. You know, online corporate worship, it's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like 
eating some vitamins versus eating your veggies. Vitamins are a great supplement, but boy, you better get that Brussels sprout on. I mean, you, you need your veggies. You need some meat, most of us. I'm just saying that we need real food. We need real gathering. Shabbat, shalom. This, this idea of shalom, I, I told you a minute ago that it's, it's actually bigger than the word peace. And, and what I want to do is just very, very quickly give you a working definition of shalom that we're going to use throughout this series, but I pray it becomes a part of our lives. I pray it becomes a part of who we are and what we do every single day. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. Shalom is the intentional cultivation of completeness. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict, peace. It is the intentional cultivation of completeness, of, of being whole as God created us to be. If you want a picture of shalom in your mind's eye, picture Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where sin enters the world. It enters the human condition. Prior to that, humanity had it going on because God had given it to us. He had given us life. He had literally breathed the life of God into our bodies and given us everything that we needed. That was the perfect picture of shalom. And it's this idea of, this idea of wholeness and completeness that we're going to kind of unpack over the next few weeks together. I started praying about this series. I started thinking about it really in the middle of the, of the total shutdown and the quarantine before the gradual reopening began. And it struck me, I was actually having a conversation with a couple of friends of mine, I, and I told you, as a matter of fact, that as we began that season, there was something that I sensed God was up to that actually kind of, we ought to be looking toward what God wants to teach us, what he wants to show us in this season. And I think one of the things that he showed us, when everything shut down, it, it exposed the emptiness of our distractions. It exposed the emptiness of all of the things that we chase, all of the time that we waste scurrying around, keeping ourselves busy. I think it exposed the emptiness of some of those distractions while also reminding us of the power of God's blessings, of the power of people, the people closest to us in our lives, and our need to continuously renew and reinvest in those relationships. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a win to be reminded of those things. And so it was against that backdrop that I started to kind of study shalom and, and what that means in the Jewish mindset and what it can mean for us in 2020 on the way out of COVID-19. It's this idea of, of being complete. And so I want to just mention to you Three components of shalom. Three components to, to be praying through, to be thinking through as you go throughout this week. Number one, obviously, it is the, the idea of peace and harmony, of existing 
at peace with God, but also at peace and in harmony with one another. We, we said a few weeks ago that one of the beautiful things about harmony is that it means by definition, you're singing different notes. You, you're not on the same page. I think I shared this with you, but I'm gonna share it with you again. Julie and Emily, my wife and my daughter, my wife and our daughter down here on the front row, they both, what a lot of people don't know, Julie has a great singing voice. Emily, you've heard her sing and lead worship before. Julie, I don't know why she hides her light under a bushel, but she does. If I could sing like Julie, you would know it, baby. But they, they, can, they have a great singing voice, which is irritating enough, but then to compound the irritation, they both they can harmonize beautifully. And when mother and daughter harmonize, something about that genetic harmony, when you've got similarities in your vocal cords going on, it just, it melds and, and meshes together so beautifully. And, and I just have to kind of sit there and go, that's awesome. Y'all let me know when you're through. Because I can't do it. I don't, I don't have that gift. I love music. I'm just no good at it. They can actually pull it off. Well, harmony in the body of Christ, in this idea of shalom, means that we're singing different notes. Your personality complements mine. My personality gifts, my weaknesses complement your gifts and strengths. And God supernaturally brings them together. This, this idea of peace and harmony is central, but not limited within the concept of shalom. Number two is the idea of wholeness and completeness. When you think of wholeness and completeness, think of integrity. Think of being a whole person, whole and complete. And within that concept, in the Jewish mindset, is the concept of complete and whole community. That, that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Not only as children of God, but as people, as people. And I couldn't help going through this week and preparing, praying for this sermon. I couldn't help but think, as the family of faith, the church of Jesus Christ, we have to do better at making this happen. I want to just suggest to you that Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd are names that for all intents and purposes, we probably never should have known. And what I mean by that is Ahmaud Arbery lived in Georgia. George Floyd lived in Minnesota, the reality is our paths probably were not gonna cross. That, that was not gonna happen, more than likely. But I remember watching the video of Ahmaud Arbery hunted and killed And I remember watching that video and being horrified and being nauseated. And I thought, Jesus, come quickly. 
how desperately we need you. And then just a few days later, I saw a headline online about George Floyd, a name I'd never heard before. And there was a, a screenshot there, and it became apparent that a police officer had killed him. And I started to scroll away. And I thought, no, don't look away. And so I made myself watch the entire 10-minute video. And I was literally sick to my stomach. I watched a man die. And I realized that the church can not remain silent. We can't. The church, the body of Jesus must speak up. Two friends sprang to my mind, happened to be members of this church, this particular body of Christ. One is a guy who's a retired Department of Public Safety state trooper, law enforcement, a good man, a godly man. I called him and I said, many of you know him, it's Chris Mashburn, and he gave me permission to share this with you today. I said, Chris, you know the respect, the honor that we give law enforcement personally and as a church. Have you seen this video? He said, I haven't watched it, but I know it's there. I said, well, I understand that, but I, I did watch it. And Chris, from where I sit, it's not even close. There, there's literally nothing that could justify what I just watched. He said, well, I'll watch it and I'll call you. He called me back and he said, Mac, I couldn't finish it. That's not close. The second friend that I thought about was somebody that you all know here, Bill Jones. Bill's a friend of mine. He's on our board. He has preached in this pulpit. And for those of you who don't know Bill Jones, he's black. I said, Bill, Help me. Help me understand how to lead our church. How do I pastor through this? Because, Bill, I don't know if you know this, <clears throat> I'm white. And for the record, I've been white my whole life. He laughed. And I asked him this question. I said, Bill, I have to believe that the conversations you had with your two boys and your daughter growing up about how they were to handle if they were ever stopped by law enforcement were different than the ones that I had with Emily and Joe. 
And Bill, with zero rancor, no bitterness whatsoever, he goes, yeah, they were. I said, I assume you had those conversations. He said, oh, I had those conversations. Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. While they are names we never should have known, we shall never forget their names. We shall never forget their lives. And I, I'm just going to tell you this because I know some, somebody somewhere at some point is going to, well, what about, the, what about the looting and the rioters? Don't even at me, bro. Let me tell you why I'm not talking about that. Because I'm not going to mitigate the sin and the evil of racism with a distraction about what other people are doing. We're going to talk about this. It's hard, but it's real. This summer marks the 400th anniversary of the first slaves being captured trafficked and sold in America. 400 years. It's time. It's past time for us to get this right and to do what God calls us to do. It is past time. Blessed are the peacemakers. We'll not, we will never drift into peace. We make peace. We choose peace. Yeah, I'm white. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. That doesn't mean that I can't speak truth. That doesn't mean that I can't throw my arms around a black brother or sister and say, I'm sorry, I don't know. If you think you know, you are out your mind. You don't know what it's like. So love, be kind, and do the right thing. Let's be that kind of church. <laughs> Blessed are the peace makers. Benjamin Franklin said that justice will not be served until those unaffected are as outraged as those who are. We cannot look at George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and turn a blind eye anymore. We cannot do that ever again. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 Micah is probably not one of the more well-trafficked books in your Bible. It's not in mine. But in Micah 6, 8, the Bible says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Wholeness and completeness requires justice. It requires that we are 
God's agents of change in a broken world. God's shown us what is good. We know what he requires of us. Do justice. Love kindness and mercy and walk humbly with your God. Wholeness and completeness. There's a third component of shalom that I want to just mention to you because it's important. And it's prosperity. Prosperity. Now, it's very important that you understand this ain't the prosperity gospel. That's not what this is. But the welfare and the prosperity of God's people matter to God. It is our job, our responsibility, if we can, to work towards the peace of shalom, including prosperity, including providing for our material needs. That's one of the things that we have to be about. Even in the New Testament, you, you can, you know, okay, maybe Old Testament's kind of harsh, just a little, whatever. God's so consistent. Even in the New Testament, Paul told the church at Thessalonica, if a man will not work, if he chooses not to work, he will not eat. Oh. Now, it's different if you can't work, if you're looking for it, that's not the point. But if you choose not to work, God says, you're not gonna eat. But if you can't work, it is the prosperity of the family of faith. It is the shalom of God's people that will provide for those who can't. In a beautiful imitation of God himself. Because God provided for peace for you and me when we couldn't do it for ourselves. He provided the, the means, the resource for our forgiveness, for our completeness. Romans chapter five, verse one and following says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, for us. In the ultimate act of charity, in the ultimate act of mercy, Jesus gave what we couldn't do for ourselves. He gave us, he gives us peace with God. He gives us Shalom with God, with each other in this world through us. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, I know that we've, we've covered some, some heavy ground today. That's okay. The amazing grace of God is more than enough to withstand it. But in this moment, whether you're worshiping in this room or online, I just want to ask you a question. Have you chosen to experience shalom with God. 
What I mean by that is have you chosen to intentionally and deliberately receive God's welcome home? By confessing your sin, receiving personally by appropriating Jesus's death on the cross as the payment for the forgiveness of your sins and beginning to walk in that shalom, that wholeness and that completeness that you're created for. If you have made that choice and responded to his grace initiative, then I want to invite you to be praying with everything that you have, but I also want to challenge you beginning today and for the next seven days to pray and to walk and work for peace in your life, in your home, in your community, in our community and nation. But if you haven't made that choice, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you desire the shalom, the complete peace and wholeness of God, then we invite you to pray a prayer of receiving, a prayer of beginning to experience and walk in that relationship. Just right where you are, just pray silently something like this. Just from your heart to God, say, Lord, I need you. I need, I want this shalom in my life. I want it to spill out of my life to the people around me. God, I want to be a peacemaker. And so, Jesus, I confess my sin to you. No pretense, holding nothing back in order to receive your forgiveness, your complete, amazing grace. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I wanna just ask you to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. But if you prayed that prayer, whether you're online or in the room, if you just chose to step into that faith relationship with Christ, as our heads are bowed for another moment, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second? And know that, man, as a family, we honor that and celebrate that with you. And for the first time in too long, as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.